0: You're listening to the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the Odyssey Robots Radio Network. What is up, everyone? It's me. It's me. It's Gino V. Mr. Sensational Gino Vega coming to you with episode 28 of the Mr. Sensational Geno Vega podcast, presented by Uniqlo, on the IC Robots radio network. Folks, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this week's episode merits very special episode status, due to the fact that it's actually the second time I'm recording it. I recorded episode 28 last week, only to discover that the majority of the recording... Turned out horribly distorted. There was something wrong with the uh, port that I had the microphone plugged into, I believe. And typically I take a break to sort of check things midway through. And of course, the uh, week that I chose to forego that check was the week that uh, the recording ended up being unusable. So I told uh, ISR, IC Robots, uh the boss here at the network, um, that I would attempt to re-record it in enough time to uh, be out and up for your listening pleasure last Wednesday. But he also reminded me that last Wednesday was the, uh, presidential inauguration here in the United States of America. And he figured people might be busy anyway, uh, either enjoying the festivities or, um, mourning the loss of the country to um, radical communism under left of Stalin, um, President uh, Joseph R. Biden. Either way, whichever your uh, political flavor is there, it it just seemed like a good, good enough reason to take the week off as any. But we are back. We are back here with episode 28, take two. And through the magic of podcasting, I can report to you now that... Episode 28, take two is, if not a qualitative success, um, it is at least a quantitative one. Um, as I just pause the recording in real time to go check on some water that I have boiling on the stove. And when I did that, I listened back and there's no static. So we're good. We're good to go. Um, boiling water, by the way to uh, make a batch of um, edamame, those Japanese uh, soybean pods, Um, making those and roasting some garbanzo beans in the oven. Um, Because it's a rather gloomy day here uh, around the manor, the sensational manor in Napa, California. It's kind of interesting because when I sat down to record... Episode 28, the first time around, it was practically a spring day in January. It was warm, sunny, the birds were chirping. I was recording in um, my 15-year-old Miss One's uh, room because she was at school. But a week later, it's now gloomy. Storm front is coming in. An atmospheric river is expected, so they say flash flood warnings. And I am recording in my 12-year-old uh, daughter, Miss Two's room. So, a little, little bit of a change here, um, but we're rolling with it. In other sensational news, um had a bit of a health scare uh, just about an hour before sitting down to record this episode. Well, um kind of started in conjunction with the pandemic, which is probably no surprise because I think it's all... All stress, anxiety, psychosomatic stuff. But ever since last March, I've had this reoccurring, um, it's not really fair to call it chest pain, but just chest feeling. Um, And particularly at times when I'm feeling stressed out or run down, um, this feeling will kind of emerge and then start to radiate kind of into my arm and my back. And so it's a very vague Um, uh, echo of what is always uh, described as classic heart attack symptoms, you know, um, chest pain radiating into the left arm, pressure in the back, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So I've made the mistake of allowing myself to kind of fixate on this condition whenever it comes up. um, Exacerbated by the fact that I unfortunately discovered that the exercise watch gimmick that I use for uh, participating in the IC Robots Radio Network Horsepower Initiative, where we all get moving, get active, get fit. Uh, It shows my, I can look at my uh, heart rate at any given time, and I can see my uh, average resting heart rate. And I have noticed that, and this is actually probably a good thing, but I've noticed that my average resting heart rate on a perfect day, a day where I went to bed early the night before, no drinking, no extracurriculars of any kind. Um, on a day when I wake up in that state, that day, my average resting heart rate is down around the low 60s, May, can even get as low as like 59, 58, which um, of course I uh, allowed myself to fall down the rabbit hole of uh, researching what these numbers mean in um, online, um, something that is probably not... Um, the uh, best move (laughs) doing medical research online. But even knowing what a bad move that is, considering my personal psychological makeup, I let myself do it anyway. So um, yeah, so I figured the the average resting heart rate that I have on a a perfect day is actually out there as like a very healthy sign for someone my age and demo. The problem is, On nights where, you know, I maybe get a little too uh, taken with uh, Fire Pro or Yakuza Zero or watching UFC or whatever, and I, I get a little manic and stay up a little past the witching hour, maybe have a few cold ones. When I wake up the next day after that, I have a significantly higher resting heart rate that next day. Not still well within the range of healthy, but you, uh, you know, you start to, you know, it's kind of jarring to like see, you know, uh, oh, the choices that I make, lifestyle choices that I make, you can see there's like a direct health correlation coupled with the fact that I'm well into middle age at this point. So it's not like when I was 30 and the notion of having a heart attack or something was just not even on the table. It's kind of occurred to me lately. It's like, oh, you're kind of in that range now where you never know what might jump off. So anyway, gotten into an unhealthy headspace of sort of obsessing over heart rates and chest feelings, et cetera, et cetera. So last night, Monday night, it's a Tuesday when I'm recording this, uh, Ms. S. and I um, decided to walk downtown. Um, The uh, state of California's stay-at-home order was lifted suddenly yesterday. And, um, uh, there's a place where we go and get beer sometimes downtown where you can sit outside. You're not around anyone. You're not even really interacting with, uh, the the staff. You put in an order online and someone just kind of quickly comes out and drops the beers off at your table and you never see them again. So we felt pretty safe going there from time to time. We decided, you know what, since this is back open, all of a sudden let's go have a celebratory drink. So we did. We went down there, but then that led to, um, just kind of having a little, a few more celebratory drinks when we got home and I ended up playing video games and typically on a Monday night, I'd be going to bed at uh, like nine or 10, but I stayed up till like one thirty, feeling the effects this morning when I woke up and feeling the chest feeling and um, just kind of allowed myself to spiral in that headspace. So anyway, uh, by a couple hours ago, when I was driving, Miss Sensational 2, my twelve-year-old to school, um, on the way back, started having like a full-blown. If anyone watched The Sopranos back in the day, one of those full-on Tony Soprano panic attacks. Like I little, I thought I was gonna pass out. Doesn't normally happen to me that badly, but I just I was like, oh my god, I, I'm actually having a heart attack, or I'm having a debilitating panic attack, and think I'm gonna pass out from. Either way, this is not good. But rolled down the window. Just kept on keeping on, made it to the park where I did a few laps, got back in the car, got home, and it's all good in the hood. I'm here, I'm alive, I'm speaking to you, and hopefully we'll continue to do so for some time because uh, I don't think, I'm not not really ready to uh, depart the mortal plane just yet. <music> Folks, I think it's probably safe to say that if you're listening to this show You very likely came here by way of the other shows and content on the IC Robots Radio Network, Uh, notably IC Robots flagship uh, Stuck at Home show, the IC Robots show before that, the Toys R Us Report podcast before that, um, as well as IC Robots um, recurring This Boring Life. Shows that he puts out from time to time. If for some bizarre reason you're here um, in a vacuum, you're not uh, here by way of the larger network. uh, Look up the uh, the network feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, anywhere, all of the usual podcast suspects. Seek out the feed. Subscribe to the feed. Check out what's been coming down the pike because there's been some good ISR content of late. And um, today I want to uh, kind of piggyback on a few topics that he has been covering. I want to give a shout first to the most recent episode of the This Boring Life podcast, available wherever find podcasts are procured, available right this moment for your listening pleasure, in which ISR tackles um, a look back at his history with portable music players, beginning with a transistor radio he had as a youth, uh, going from there to the age of the Walkman, from there to... um, the beginnings of uh, BitTorrent-style sharing platforms like Napster, and then on to uh, MP3 players, all the way up to where ISR's portable music listening life finds him in 2021. I thought this was a fascinating show and a fascinating topic because it caused me to think about my own history with uh, music storage mediums. And it's fascinating to me because it's a technology that has changed so dramatically over the last 20 years, but happened in such just abrupt leaps, I guess, that I almost didn't notice it happening. It's funny because when I started listening to the show, I was realizing that Ever since I was a child, I, too, always had some kind of portable music player. I think I started out as well with some kind of transistor radio gimmick, and then for sure did the Walkman thing, did the CD man thing. Um, I briefly did the iPod thing, and then for the longest time now, I've been a phone streaming guy. Uh, But it was crazy because these players were so integral to my daily life growing up that in my case, I can't really vividly remember them. And it's weird. It's like, I know for a fact my whole time through high school, I had a Walkman, but I can't remember which one it was. I do remember at one point I had one of the yellow sports because those are pretty distinct and pretty easy to remember. And by that point, I think that that, they were just ubiquitous. That's like kind of, if someone had a Walkman almost, it seems like that was the type that they had. But I know I had some other models before that. Um, but yeah, I, I cannot vividly remember w- the devices that I used to listen to music. I can't remember how I got them, um, where they came from, what happened to them. Um, it's really strange, but I, I I and I was talking to ISR about this and I think it, it's because they were just such a kind of grafted on thing, like this cyborg attachment to my body that I didn't even really notice um, the specificity anymore, it was just it was like, you don't think about your ear over the course of the day. You don't think about your nose, you know, it's just there. And that's how attached I, I was to poor old music players. But it's also fascinating because um, uh, ISR was talking about a lot of time spent fastidiously curating his online music collection at a certain point. And I right there with him just spending hours making sure all the album artwork was in there correctly. The volumes are properly calibrated. Uh, genres were correct, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that was a big thing for me for a few years, but it's funny. Cause even that now is just kind of faded because I, I, I personally use Apple music and that stuff. It's all kind of just comes as is now. Um, so yeah, it, it's funny how, how, On one hand, dramatically and quickly, the storage mediums change, but it's almost so dramatic and so quick that it's too gradual to really notice in the moment. So do yourself a favor, hop on over and check out that episode of This Boring Life. Um, Moving right along, I want to talk about something that has been a topic recently on the Stock at Home show, spilled over onto the Twitter machine as well. Um... ISR put out there the idea of um, Captain America, the Marvel comic book character Captain America versus Batman, and which one would win in a fight, in a battle for the ages. And I figured I would throw my own hat in the ring there and say that unequivocally, I feel that Captain America would win. I feel he would leave the contest with less of himself than he entered it with, far less of himself probably. Um, ISR had posted online a picture of a bloodied, bruised, tattered mini-mate cap, and that's exactly how I picture him after his um mortal combat with Batman. But I feel that Captain America has to win that fight, right? Because Captain America is the embodiment of can-do Americanism, of participatory democracy Americanism, of um, what can you do to make your community better Americanism. Batman's kind of a weird, like, anarcho-libertarian. We can't have that win. I mean, I I like Batman as much as the next guy, but if you really think about what Batman stands for, we all really have to hope... And pray that that greatest generation optimism and gallant spirit would overcome Batman's cynical fascism. Meanwhile, um, on the Twitter machine, some people got to talking about Batman versus Wolverine. And uh, in that matchup... I'm Batman all the way because Wolverine It would come at great personal cost to Batman. The victory would, but Wolverine, Batman would think circles around him and and just and ultimately decimate him. But in any case, this all got me thinking to um, something that I was really into when I was in, I guess, like junior high school age. I got heavily into the Marvel superheroes role playing game that was put out by, I believe, TSR, uh, the D&D company at the time prior to Wizards of the Coast. Um, Got into that and then I got into there was a a DC uh, role playing game as well. And I don't think I ever actually owned the full blown DC role playing game rule book but there was like a companion kind of stripped down version that was specifically Batman. It was like the Batman role playing game using the DC rules, but it was just like Batman stuff. So kind of street level, gritty grimy level, which has always been my wheelhouse when it comes to the, to the uh, big two comics. Like, you know, I'm a daredevil guy. I'm a Batman guy. I'm a captain America guy. I mean, captain America in in Batman too, you know, they can hang at the, the cosmic level, of course. But, um, I was always more, a fan of those um, guys that really were comfortable taking it to the streets. You know, they were busting heads in warehouses. And, uh, uh, if they had powers, it wasn't, um, it was as much due to the fighting spirit and the will that they conjured from within than it was any like cosmic shenanigans. Um, so in the case of those role playing games, I used to find it, um, Really uh, gratifying to take a character like Batman who was kind of underpowered in the greater um, superhero universe and figure out a way to present them stats wise in their respective role playing games in a way that made them statistically as powerful as some of the more powered characters, but, but find creative ways to like justify why um, their stats uh, were as high as someone with far greater superhuman abilities. So like I would, I, I made like a Marvel uh, role-playing game version of Batman and gave him incredibly high strength uh, rating. But my justification was that it was just due to his martial arts training and due to just that kind of Batman zone that he gets into. And I also, I created a Marvel Universe uh, Joker and I gave Joker superhuman strength as well. Um, just based on his uh, psychotic monomania. In any case, great stuff from IC Robots. As always, uh, the beauty of the IC Robots Radio Network for me as a listener is that by listening to folks talk about these ordinary things, these ordinary memories, these ordinary stories, but in an elevated way, it gets me thinking about my own life and just, just a nice nice uh, springboard for conversation, hopefully with others, but even if not with others, in your own mind, in one's own mind, in my own mind. I've definitely had had many a monologue with myself after listening to ISR spin his yarns. Totally normal, right? Let's talk for a second about mutants and perspective. For those of you who have listened to previous episodes of the Mr. Sensational Genovega podcast, you may have heard me discuss mutants before. Most recently during the Washington, D.C. Capitol riots, I described it as a mutant attack. Uh, but I haven't really talked about what I mean by mutants and mutantism. Uh, but it's something that is seems to be fairly pervasive these days. Very unfortunate. And I feel like it is all of our duties as citizens to try to combat mutinism. So when I speak of mutants, I am talking about individuals who have gone so far afield to the absolute fringes of social thought and social discourse that Their behavior and actions have become not just uh, unhelpful to the community at large, to this social construct that we all inhabit, but they are actively against it. They are the mutants among us who sow discord, who want to actively precipitate a Mad Max future. A future that, sadly, seems likely, but not necessarily inevitable. Now, the reason I use the term mutants, part of it is, you know, it's a joke. It's a bit. Um, But it also, it's because I feel that these people cannot all be quote-unquote bad people at their core. They are simply people that have been let down by the community at large, uh, forgotten, um, been led astray by mutating elements. And so there are people that one can hope could be brought out of their mutant state. I think of it like the video game Defender. Remember in Defender when you were trying to save the little glimmering people, but then when things got dire enough, the people mutated and turned into those angry red, kind of red skull looking creatures. That's mutinism. That's the the process of being mutated, of allowing, you know, hate to uh, color your worldview. And that's, I think, what we all as um, responsible citizens of the world need to guard against and help bring back from. But I also want to make clear mutantism is not, uh, specific to any particular ideology. It's, it's the, it's all various iterations of the mutant ideology. So while we have seen many examples recently, high profile examples of mutantism with a right wing bent, um, that one being a particularly problematic strain of mutantism just because of the level of mainstream support it was receiving um, by way of having a mutant as the chief executive officer of the country. Um, but there's mutants of all stripes. And I know the uh, right-wing mutants often attempt to deflect by claiming that um, people like myself that are just trying to hew more to a responsible road... Uh, road of caring for others, of caring for the community. Uh, they would like to say that we only focus on their brand of mutantism while encouraging left-wing mutants, which could not be farther from the case. In uh, when it comes to my own stance, so I just wanted to shout out. I recently saw there was some mutantism, mutant a mutant invasion, some mutant activity kicking up in the city of Portland, Oregon, under the under the infamous <laughs> banner of Antifa which I am not convinced really exists in any significant form, maybe outside of some whacked out young people in the city of Portland. But I will take a moment to say that these mutants are as much card-carrying members of Boko Haram West as any Trumper is. So, thumbs down to it all. Come back to us, please. ELE. Everybody love everybody. And... Step away from those mutating elements people, but I also want to talk about um, I said mutants and perspective. There's often this idea when mutants attack, when mutants rampage, that it is more than it is. Sometimes folks try to claim it's less than it is, like in the in the case of the capital mutant invasion, that was a fairly sig- significant mutant invasion and one that should cause us all to think very carefully about the direction of our world, of our country wherever we may be um but in the case of these oregon style mutant attacks where i see folks who do not live in these cities and don't understand how cities work um freaking out that the the cities are on fire the cities are being destroyed i can guarantee you um I have a friend, a dear friend who lives in Portland, Oregon, and I checked in with her and she lives downtown and doesn't even see any of this stuff. Because generally when when things are setting off in a city, they're usually in a very discreet section of that city. And while it's not a good thing, it's also not um, a portent of end times. It's just the noise you deal with when living in an urban area. So fear mutants, I'm not saying not to fear mutants, help revive any mutants that you possibly can. Regardless of their end of the spectrum, but keep in mind that uh, that lamestream media is always trying to, to work people up into frenzy. No, it's, it's just it's the, the nature of news coverage. You're, they're going to focus on news of the weird, of distinct happenings. Just try to remember what these things are and employ a little bit of perspective and context. <laughs> Folks, I'm going to end things today with a charming little anecdote from last weekend. Last Saturday evening, I sat down to watch the Ultimate Fighting Championships UFC pay-per-view event headlined by Conor McGregor, notorious Conor McGregor versus Dustin the Diamond Poirier in a lightweight main event. It was a big, big show, big fight card for the UFC. Um, The funny thing about the UFC is you've got, when it it comes to to celebrities that are fans of the UFC, you've got some obvious ones, you've got some usual suspects, um, people that it's not particularly surprising like watching cage fighting. But then you also get the people that are, are are a bit of a surprise, like, uh, the late Anthony Bourdain, um, of CNN by way of, uh, he was on the Food Network. What? I can't remember what, what network he was on before he jumped to CNN, but you know, Anthony Bourdain, the food travel guy, um, he was a big fan of the UFC. And in fact, he actually used to do, um, voiceovers for the opening, uh, video packages, uh, a task now handled by the actor Ron Perlman, but Bourdain was always kind of a funny one to me. Um, Gordon Ramsay, another celebrity chef, is a UFC fan. So yeah, every now and again, you'll you'll find out that a famous person enjoys watching the Ultimate Fighting Championships. That are kind of kind of a little bit a little bit surprising, a little more surprising than like your Steven Seagals. Uh, or your, your Snoop Dogs; Those are guys that are more just kind of a no-brainer. You picture them sitting back and watching the fights. But um, over the weekend, when I was watching this broadcast, uh, they'll do a thing on UFC Fight Cards where they throw up uh, tweets on the screen. Uh, famous people or MMA journalists tweeting about the event. Um, and I was sitting there on Saturday night watching the event when suddenly this tweet appeared on the screen and the tweet read, what are you drankin? W-A-T-A-U-D-R-A-N-K-I-N apostrophe. What are you drankin? And it shows a picture of, they didn't show this on the screen. Um, obviously the on the broadcast, it was just the text of the tweet, but I'm, I'm looking at the tweet on Twitter now. And it is accompanied by a picture of a bottle of, oh, mezcal and a glass and some fancy candles on a fancy, (coughs) excuse me, looking table, non-COVID. But this tweet was tweeted by LeVar Burton, actor LeVar Burton, uh, a childhood hero of mine, LeVar Burton, host of Reading Rainbow LeVar Burton. So he was posting, what are you drinking? Hashtag fight night Hashtag UFC 257. So this I found fascinating on a number of levels. I never knew LeVar Burton on the level of LeVar Burton UFC fan, cage fighting fan. Nor did I know him on the level of um, LeVar Burton casual drinking uh, practitioner. (laughs) I guess not. fan isn't the right word. In any case, this caused me to investigate LeVar Burton's Twitter further. And after the What Are You drinking?" tweet, he follows this up with, Hey, at Aisha Tyler, what are you and at Emmett Hughes drinking tonight? I know y'all are tipling. Hashtag UFC 257. Hashtag McGregor I have no idea who Aisha T- Tyler and Emmett Hughes are, but hey, LeVar I want to know what they're drinking. He's very, very hyped up on this idea of just, like, getting one's fade on and, and watching the UFC. But then... Things take a dark turn. Suddenly, LeVar is tweeting WTF at ESPN. This is no bueno. Hashtag UFC257, followed by seriously at ESPN and at Dana White. No more. I want all of my money back. Every last cent. Hashtag UFC257 live stream. Hashtag overpromised. Hashtag underdelivered. Hashtag never again. And the problem is um, for many viewers, myself included. On the west coast of the United States, the pay-per-view feed went down uh, during the show. For me, it was just a second. LeVar, it seems like it was uh, more of a consistent problem for him, but no one wants to spend $70 on a pay-per-view event to have the stream not stream perfectly, Uh, particularly when uh, that $70 reflects a recent price increase on these already very inflated UFC pay-per-view prices. But what are you going to do? I, much like it seems like our man Lavar is, cannot get away from my addiction to watching UFC. So I pay these ridiculous costs for iffy streams of events that pretty much all, always do live up to the hype. I, I very rarely walk away from a high-profile UFC show not entertained. But in any case, I I just, I, I found that endearing that I was kind of living parallel lives with, uh, LaVar because I looked up to LaVar as a child where, um, you know, Mr. Rogers was kind of this, this fatherly or grandfatherly elder figure and same with the adults on Sesame Street. I think LaVar might've been a bit younger. When he was hosting Reading Rainbow when I was a kid. Because I always thought of him more as like a cool young adult, um, like older brother. Like, man, I want to be like LeVar when I grow up. Look at this guy, just reading, just happy, positive outlook on life, helping the kids. You know, he just wanted to hang out with LeVar. So I think it's kind of nice that uh, in middle age, uh, I guess I kind of grew up to be like LeVar. Sitting at home on a Saturday night, drinking, watching UFC, and getting irate when the stream goes down. Folks, with that, I am out. This is Mr. Sensational Gino Vega with episode 28 of the Mr. Sensational Geno Vega podcast presented by Uniqlo on the IC Robots Radio Network, signing off. Butterfly in the sky. I can go twice as high. Take a look, it's in a book. A reading rainbow, I can go anywhere, friends to know, and ways to grow, a reading rainbow.